You know, as a dad, you have to answer a lot of questions. Um, Many of those questions come when you're putting your kid into bed. It seems like that's the time where they get all the questions. But what's worse than like the questions at bedtime is where as a dad, you're actually trying to take a nap yourself, right? And there's an NFL game on or something, and you're like almost in the zone, almost ready to fall asleep, and then the questions start. Um, and it's always questions that, that you're like, I don't know. I don't care. That doesn't matter. It's questions like, Dad, um, who, who would win, win in a race, Chase from Paw Patrol or Clifford the Big, Big Red Dog? And you're like, Dads, any dads want to give an answer to that? Chase. Chase would win that race, right? Um, or, and and, and the, the questions just kind of like stay the same. The characters just change. And so as the boys get older, your kids get older, they'll start asking questions like, Dad, who would be better at baseball, LeBron James or Tom Brady? And you're like, I don't care. I don't like either one of them. That's why like, I think they'd both be bad. I don't think either one of them could hit. And could you, I can't imagine, like, can you imagine Tom Brady sliding and getting dirty? No way. Like, he's like too much of a contact sport for a guy that's never been hit. Uh, I don't think he could be back with a grip on the bat. You know, amen, right? You know, so they ask these questions. And, and here's the truth. As a dad, like, the questions will come, the questions will come. And one of the greatest privileges you will have in your life is answering your kids' questions. And one day those questions will get serious. And they'll ask you really important questions. Um, and you'll get to give them answers that really matter. Um, today, we're going to talk about a question. And this question isn't just for dads. It's for everybody in the room. And everybody in all of time, in one way or another, will have to answer this question. And so as we approach this text today, we see a question. And, and, and from this, here's what I have to say. Here's the big truth today. The most important question you will ever answer is, who is Jesus? The most important question that you will ever answer is, who is Jesus? And how you answer that question will determine how you live your life. And maybe how your children live theirs. How you answer that question doesn't just determine how you live this life, but the next and it could be for you and your own whole household. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 9. We're going to pick up where Brandon left off last week. Brandon preached Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. And um, he, he walks through Jesus sending out the 12 uh, apostles. And he walks through a passage where Herod is perplexed by Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, I listened to that sermon. I thought he did an excellent job. Um, I was actually surprised to learn that Brandon played football in high school. When he told the story that he caught an interception, that was surprising to me. And when he tells the story of how he just stands there and doesn't run to the end zone, that was not surprising to me. I will throw out the, the coach's response of, do I need a map quest you? Directions to the end zone. That was brilliant. That was a smart coach. And Brandon, I will have to say you're a smart man for after that moment, sticking with things either with a hockey stick or badminton or pickleball or ping pong, that kind of thing, man. That's, that's your niche. Stick with it. Um, but we're going to pick up where he left off 
last week. And so, uh, man, this is an important place in Jesus' ministry. And we really see, actually, some of the, like, the, the winds shifting in Jesus' ministry and the focus of his ministry start to shift. We're, we're going from spending time with crowds and hearing, hearing these stories about crowds to more of time alone with the disciples. This is actually, uh, some scholars say this, this is his retirement ministry. This is him like beginning the process from the big public ministry, taking it just smaller to smaller and smaller till he gets to Jerusalem. So we'll start here in verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others, one of the prophets of old, has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. And when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son. My chosen one, listen to him. And the voice had spoken. Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So here we see these um, really two stories. This one story that, that happens with Jesus and his 12 disciples. As he shares with them and he asks them. He kind of debriefs the things that have been going on. And then the next story Eight days later, which he takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, with him to see. So let's begin taking this part, this apart in verse 18. So he records, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. They asked him, and he asked them rather, who do the crowds say that I am? 
And they answer, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. So here's my first big idea. The world wants an answer to who Jesus is. The world wants an answer. The world is answering. Who is this Jesus? Man, he had gone and he had performed miracles. He had done these different things. And it had raised people's attention. Last week, we learned that it had even raised Herod's attention. We, we back up to verse 7. We see now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. That would have been concerning if you're Herod. Because you, he had taken his head off. By some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things, and he sought to see him. No doubt, a lot of different people who were hearing of Jesus' ministry were seeing how he had healed the lame, he called the blind to see, he had done all these different things. The oppressed were being uh, freed, and, and, and people were coming to faith, and this movement was happening around Jesus. They wanted answers. They wanted to know who he was. And friends, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you, there are still people today who want to know who Jesus is. There, there, there are people who don't know who he is and want to know. You know, the, the big idea is that the world wants an answer to who Jesus is. So many people in our world get that answer wrong. If you were to take in, in, in our culture, if you just like, kind of like look at the demographics and you kind of zoomed way out, you know, we'd say, okay, about 10% of our culture, it, it, we would say, are, are Christians. And so if you go out in the street and you, you uh, meet 10 people, one of them ought to be able to give you an answer to who Jesus is. Who, who is Jesus? If you go answer that, ask that question, one out of ten people ought to be able to give you that answer. But here's what I think would happen. I think if you walked out into Old Town today, and you're walking around, people are going for brunch and doing their things, and you said, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Je I think you'd have to get, ask more than ten people before you got a right answer. I think you'd ask the first ten, and there would be no right answers. I think you'd ask the second ten, and there would be no right answers. The third set group, and I think there's a good chance you'd get no right answer. I think if you, you actually looked at it in a group of 100 people in our culture, I think maybe three or four or five people out of 100 might be able to give you the right answer of who is Jesus. Who would they say that he is? You know, if you, you walked up and you, you ask a, a Muslim... A Muslim's going to give you, a good Muslim's going to give, all of them are going to give you the same answer. They're going to say, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was the greatest prophet. But friends, I'll tell you, Jesus is more than a prophet. More than likely, if you walk up to somebody, um, you, one of the answers that you would get is he's a moral teacher. He was a teacher um, in, in the first century and... Uh, man, a lot of people have followed him, but really if we just take, take those beliefs and the things he taught, he was a good moral teacher. Well, what are some of his teachings? And man, that might get you different answers. Matter of fact, uh, I think maybe Jesus' most well-known teaching to that crowd um, 
might be that uh, the, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I would say there'd be a lot of people who maybe couldn't even quote to you that that is something that Jesus said. Be kind to others, be good to others. Maybe, maybe they would get his greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But it would be reduced to mere morality. Remember in the past few weeks, a few weeks ago, we talked about moral therapeutic deism and, and that being uh, predominantly what those who claimed Christianity may, may believe. I, I think there are other people who might say he was a charlatan. He was a fraud. He was, he was more of a magician than he was anything else. And, and he had people tricked into thinking that he could do these miracles. And so people followed him, but then he died and then he was just gone. Others may just say, you know, Jesus was a uh, religious leader. Uh, he's one of the ways to have e- eternal life. Uh, you know, they, they may paint a picture of a mountain and say this life is a, is a mountain and everybody's trying to climb their way to God. And so Jesus is a trail up this side and Buddha is a trail up this side and Muhammad is a trail up this side. And these are all these, just a religious leader that tries to direct people to get it right and to go to God. Yet other people may tell you that, no, actually Jesus was just a fictional character. There was nothing real about Jesus. Um, it's make-believe. It's made up. He wasn't real. Despite the fact that um, there's other historical documents outside of the Bible that tell us that there was a, a man named Jesus from Nazareth that started Christianity. Uh, besides the fact that there's uh, ancient artwork, there's uh, a- a- ancient archaeology that shows that the historical accounts of the Bible are true, and it hasn't has it turned. Nothing's been revealed that turns the Bible on its head. Uh, they would easily believe in somebody like uh, Shakespeare, or they would believe in Homer or uh, ancient authors, but not Jesus. Uh, my brother. Uh, before he passed away, he often would watch the History Channel. And I would go over to his house, and the History Channel would be on. And so often, it was somebody trying to disprove the historical Jesus. I would watch a few seconds of it. It was always kind of fun because I would start debating facts, like right away with it. And go, like the amount of mental gymnastics it would take uh, the author or the, the person on the History Channel to to try to disprove Jesus. And the answer, the, the, the question that you have to ask that person who's trying to dis, disprove Jesus, who, who doesn't want the right answer to who Jesus is, is why? Why are you going to so much trouble to explain away Jesus? Because you don't like the right answer. That's why. Because you don't want Jesus to be who he says he is. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, that means he is Lord. That means he's king. And that means you need to obey and follow him. And so the world wants an answer to Jesus, but Jesus tells us most get the answer wrong. Matthew chapter 7. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. 
And so the multitudes, the crowds, when he looks at them and says, Who do the crowds say that I am? Jesus knows the crowds are going to get it wrong. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so many are going to get this wrong, but I'll, I'll tell you, we have to have an answer. We have to have an answer for who Jesus is. It's the most important question you will ever answer. So verse 20. It says, Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Here's my next big idea. It, there, there's only one right answer. Christ is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew title Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. For literally at this point, thousands of years of history, prophets of old had prophesied that a Messiah was coming, that an anointed one was coming, a Savior was coming. And so each of these uh, disciples, Peter, James, and John, they knew of the prophets of old. They knew of their writings. They knew um, there, there would have been many people who saw the works of Jesus and should have been able to understand that this Jesus was the Messiah. But by God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign hand, it was not fully disclosed to everybody. That people weren't able just to fully uh, see it. And so, it's always a miracle in Scripture when we see somebody get it right. When we see them, the, the revelation of who Jesus is, when we see them understand his identity and they get it right. It's a beautiful thing when they answer this question and they get it, that he is the Christ. We started off service with the end of Luke, the thief on the cross. There's all these people standing around and they're watching Jesus' crucifixion. And they're saying to him, Hail, King of the Jews! The people standing around watching Jesus be crucified, so many of them were answering this question wrong. The one thief looks over and he says, Man, save yourself. If you're who you say you are, save yourself. But the one thief on the cross, he gets it right. The one thief on the cross understands that this is the Messiah. And he calls out to him. And what does Jesus say to him? You answer the question right. Not exactly. Today you will be with me in paradise. There's only one right answer to the Christ. It's not that he was a moral teacher, that he was a good teacher, that he was a, a, a prophet. It's that he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one. He's the one that the scriptures have prophesied and spoke about. He is the one that God would send his son to save us. This is him. Verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
Here's the next big idea. Is that God determined the right answer. Jesus posed the question, but who do you say that I am? But it was God who determined the right answer. It was by God's sovereign hand and God's sovereign plan that the gospel would be the answer to the world's greatest question, the question of lostness, the question of separation from God, that it would be his sending of his son to die on the cross for our sins. This is what we call the good news of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. It would just be die, they would just die that he would be raised on the third day. You know, when he says this to his disciples, I, I, I can't imagine um, how it kind of took them back. Re- remember, if we, if we kind of rewind in the book of Luke, we see pretty early in the book of Luke a misunderstanding of what the Messiah would do when he would come. Uh, the Jewish people, they were really looking for a, a political leader. Uh, a leader that would take the Jewish folks, uh, the, Jew, the, the nation of Israel, and free them from the oppression of Rome. They, they wanted a political fight. They wanted a physical fight. But yet, remember what we said when Jesus goes and he's tempted uh, by Satan in the wilderness, that Jesus didn't come primarily to fight a physical battle, but a spiritual battle. We're talking spiritual things that Jesus was doing. And so, when he says to them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. I've got to think that Peter's thinking, may it never be. It can't be this. This is not who the Savior's supposed to be. Even fast forward to the night of Jesus' arrest and betrayal, What did Peter do when the guards come to arrest him? He did Peter things, right? He pulled out his sword and like gave it his best go and it wasn't enough. He barely caught the guy's ear. Jesus has to put it back up. It's a messy situation. Peter, right? He gets it wrong. It's like, no, you can't arrest him. He can't be crucified. It it can't be. How can it be that the Savior would suffer? Well, at God's sovereign hand. It's God's determination. It's God's plan that his son was suffered. He determined the right answer. He determined the means by which he would save his people. He determined what it would be that the Messiah would do. You know, maybe one reason that we often think that, man, how could God suffer is because we realize if God suffers and we want to be like Christ, that would mean that we would have to suffer too. But listen to what he says. Verse 23, he said to, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here's my next big idea. The right answer will cost you everything. 
Listen to me. I want you to have a great understanding in this. That salvation is free. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to pay for your salvation. You can't go to God and say, God, here, take, take my good works. Take my money. Take my possessions. Take any of these things, Lord, and pay for my salvation. No, your, far, your salvation, um, it costs way more than that. Your sin is way more grim. It's way deeper than you think it is. You, we are depraved people. We've sinned against a holy and righteous God. We cannot pay for our salvation. This is the truth of salvation. It is free. Jesus Christ did that on the cross for our sins. There's no works that earn it. There's no things that you do it. There's no penance that we must pay. Salvation is the free gift of God. But discipleship? That will cost you everything. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. This is what he says to them. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, this would be an offensive statement. We kind of hear that statement. It doesn't seem that offensive to us. But man, if you were a first century Jew... This would have been an offensive statement to you. Because do you know who was crucified? Jews at the hand of the Roman government. It wasn't Romans that were often crucified. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, uh, Romans who this form of capital punishment was used for. No, rather, it was Jewish people. It was the Israelites. And so because the Roman government is, has control of Israel, they would take and they would crucify Jewish people, it was, it was public execution. It was made as a form of humiliation in psychological warfare. And so here the government would uh, put you up on a cross, on the side of the road, essentially, for passerbys to be able to see you hanging there. And it did more than kill you. It preached a message to the other people there. Get in line and obey the government or end up on that cross. That's what it said. This was an instrument of death. Last week, uh, our family went to Mississippi and Louisiana. We were in both places. And when we were in Mississippi, we were driving to Gulfport. And um, uh, along some back roads, a couple different times, I saw rebel flags, Confederate flags. And man, I grew up in Georgia, um, would see that a lot. But man, in, living here, you just don't see Confederate flags very often. And um, it, 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 it reminded me, Jennifer and I had a conversation just of, of the Deep South and, and what happened in the Deep South and the different things. In my lifetime, uh, when I was a kid, I remember hearing my friends' dads talk about lynchings and being at lynchings and recalling lynchings. Um, man, in, in America, as part of our history, um, particularly, uh, definitely b before slavery ended. By the way, we will celebrate tomorrow, Juneteenth, as uh, the last slaves learned of their freedom. Um, lynchings happened before and after, and lynchings continue to happen. And lynching was essentially a hanging. 
where they would hang people up and they used it again as psychological warfare. Get in line and obey. Don't cross these lines. Do these things. Even as the laws changed, uh, lynching was illegally used by people to instill fear. Matter of fact, the last known lynching or recorded lynching happened last year in Mississippi where we were. And so, can you imagine being in the 1950s or 60s, the Jim Crow era, and saying to an African American, take up your noose and follow me. That would be offensive, wouldn't it? It's an offensive statement. Take up your noose and follow me. What are you, sicko? And yet, what does Jesus say? Take up your cross. The instrument that they are using to murder you, to give you capital punishment, to humiliate you, and to scare everybody else. You take up that instrument and you follow me. You know, one of the things that happened in crucifixion is that when it would be time to crucify, they made the person being crucified carry their own cross. Matter of fact, in recorded history, uh, it's only known once, Simon the Syrian, who, who toted Jesus' cross for him. Every other time, it, it's that we know it's the person who's being crucified who has to tote that cross. It was an embarrassing thing, but it was like, you're taking this cross, you are willing to die. And this is what he's preaching to his disciples. You're saying I'm the Messiah. You're saying I'm the one. Well, I'm the one, and I came, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised. And if you would follow me, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. And it's not something you just do one time. It's not a like, hey, you, you go to the store, you pay the price for the thing, but then you have the thing. And we've seen it's something you do daily. That's every day you're willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus. This past week, one of the things that our family got to do, it's one of my favorite things that, that happens every year for, for our, as, as our network of churches gather. Um, we have a commissioning service for the international missionaries. And there's multiple services, that uh, commission services throughout the year, but there's typically one at, at our national convention. And so last week, we saw 79 missionaries get up and get commissioned to go to the mission field. And the way that it works, it's, it, it typically starts out, uh, it's, it's couples, it's single people, it's, you know, it, it can be either or, but the first couple will come up and they'll be able to say their name and uh, where they're from, they're sending church and a prayer request. And they'll walk off and the next couple will walk up and they'll do, they'll do it again. And, and typically in the beginning, you know, they can say their real name. And they can say really the church that they're from. And often, like, I recognize the church. I know the, know the pastor. Uh, a, lot of our, our, a lot of our sending churches, it's the same churches over and over sending missionaries. And, and you kind of hear them and you know them. But as it progresses... It gets to where they can't say their name. They use a fake name. They, they, they use a pseudonym, and they say their name, but then they can still say their church. But as it progresses, 
the more dangerous place. They'll say where they're going, the country where they're going, but they won't say their name and they'll say a fake church name. As it gets a little deeper on, you'll see they are saying like Southeast Asia, their name and a fake, their fake name and a fake church name. But by the end, they're on stage and they're behind this white screen and they walk up and the light's shining on them and you can just see their silhouette. And they say the general region. They say a fake name. They say uh, a fake sending church. But they say a real prayer request. And their prayer requests start to get heavy. It didn't happen at this year's. But even one year the person was going to such a dangerous place. That they would not even let them speak and use their voice. Somebody else read it for them. Now. When they were filling out their application to go with the International Mission Board, do you think they counted the cost of following Jesus? Do you think that they were in that moment going, I am taking up my cross and I'm following him. I'm signing on the dotted line. Absolutely they did. Christian, listen to me. This is the call of the Christian life to do it daily. Every one of those missionaries commission would have known the story of Jim Elliott. If you don't know the story of Jim Elliott, look him up. But Jim Elliott was a famous missionary who lost his life. He was killed by Indians in Ecuador. And he said this life. He said, he said this line. He is no fool to lose what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's from this text. Anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The right answer. The right answer of who Jesus is will cost you everything. Listen to me. You can have all of the world's relationships. You can have all of the world's money. You can have all of the world's experience, the, the treasures of life, the experiences of life, the, the collection of, of things, of, of cars, of, of houses, of toys. And you will think you have gained the whole world, but you will lose your soul. And it's better to have the right answer to this question and it costs you everything in order to gain Jesus. Today, tomorrow, the next, and for eternity. It's better to have Jesus. Verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Here's my next big idea, is that you cannot be ashamed of your answer. You know, many of us, if we were put in a situation today where somebody asked us what our faith is, that we would fill a knot in our stomach as we began to tell them we're followers of Jesus. Because we realize, the second that I tell them that I'm a follower of Jesus, they're going to call me a bigot. They're going to look at me and they're going to say, look at you, you bigot. 
One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 1.16. Paul's writing the church at Rome. And he says this to them. The very beginning of the letter. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I love preaching that verse. If you put me in a room full of teenagers, there's like five sermons that I want to go to. That's one of them. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I believe in the, the foolishness of the cross. I believe that, that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that God sent His Son Jesus to this earth and He lived this perfect and spotless life and He died on the cross for our sins and that God did the miraculous and He raised His Son on the third day and those who believe in Him will be saved. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Man, I'll tell you, there's a lot, of, a lot of people today that may stand up and say, yeah, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But then they keep reading in Romans. And you know what happens right after Romans 1, 16 and 17? Romans 1, 18. And he says, oh, but they have traded the truth about God for a lie. And they've worshipped the creature rather than the creator. And then he condemns all the world's sexuality homosexuality and all the different ways we've twisted it. And I'll tell you, you can't stand up and say, I'm unashamed of the gospel and I believe Romans 1.16 and then exclude the rest of Romans chapter 1. You've got to be able to stand up and say, I am unashamed. Listen to what Peter, Peter who was standing there. 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that the hope is in you. Like, be prepared to make a defense of the answer, of how you answer, who is Jesus? He's the Christ. Be willing to make an answer. Do not be ashamed. But yet when you make that answer, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Can't be ashamed of your answer. The reality is that if you're ashamed of your answer, then you really don't believe that answer, and the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when He comes in His glory. Now, I left something hanging out there in verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, scholars really have a lot of different um, ideas of what, what this may be referring to. Um, the, the thought process that I, I kind of look to is I think he's saying immediately what would happen after. I think they're about to see the kingdom of God in Jesus' face. Verse 28, now about eight days after this saying, he took with him Peter and John and James and he went up to the mountains to pray. 
And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Here's my next big idea, is that when the answer to the most important question has been revealed to you, it changes everything. It changes everything. In this moment, listen how it's revealed to them. It's been, the, the miracles that Jesus has been doing, it's all leading up to this. They have a grasp of who he is, but this is a fur, further unveiling of who he is. There's so much from the Old Testament that has to be unpacked here. We would be here till 2 o'clock. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to unpack it all. Just know that there's, there's, there's tons of things from the Old Testament. And so, here they are. They're, they're sleeping with slumber, and all of a sudden they are fully awake as they see his glory, and two men stood with them. It was incredible for him. It was, it was, it was changing. They see, they see his face. In the Old Testament, if you were to see the glory of God, it would kill you. And yet the Lord chooses to just, just briefly show these three men his glory, and it would change their life Forever. Peter does what Peter does. He says something stupid. This cloud comes down around them. It overshadows them. They're scared. And a voice comes out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So God again spoke just as he did at his baptism. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so maybe today is a day for you like it was for Peter and John and James that you are able to see God in his glory. You're able to see God in his beauty today. Maybe for the first time you're seeing this is who Jesus is. And I have to answer this question, who is Jesus? And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. And so what the Bible tells us to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confess today. We're going to have a song of response in a minute. And today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, cry out and say, God, I believe I'm confessing that you are Lord. I'm saying this is who you are. I'm answering the question today of who Jesus is. Place your faith and trust in him today. Don't wait. Don't tarry. And then be unashamed. The Bible tells us that when we place our faith and trust in Christ, when we believe in the Lord Jesus and are saved, that we show the world that we're unashamed of him. Our first step is in baptism. Baptism is showing... I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I, I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. I've been buried with Jesus in baptism and raised to walk in a new way of life. Be bold. Be unashamed. Come, come and talk to Brandon. Talk to myself. Fill it out on the card. Let us know, hey, I have believed in the Lord Jesus and I need to be safe. For everybody else, let's say you're a Christian. Live the, the lifestyle of taking up your cross daily. 
Don't just look back on it as something I did once, but it's today I'm going to follow Jesus. Today I'm opening my hands and saying, today I will follow you. Where you lead, I will go. I am yielding my will to you. Not my will, but your will be done. Not on earth, but as it is in heaven. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord today could be calling somebody into, into living a life church planting, of taking the gospel to nations, of, of missionary work. Maybe today you would surrender to that. Figure, yeah, I, I've, I've seen the Lord move and work, and I feel that this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And take those steps of obedience, because when you answer the most important question, it changes everything. So, Father, we, we come to you, and we're thankful for you. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, I believe it's true. And Lord, may we be unashamed of it. Lord, may we be a people who take up our cross daily, who are willing to die for your sake, that we are people who are, are not ashamed to say Jesus is Lord, to not be ashamed of your word and what it says, that we would look at your word and what it says and we would submit our lives under its authority, Lord, that we would live our lives for you, for our good, but for your glory. Lord, may other people see your glory. May we ha help others answer the question of who is Jesus. Lord, move and work in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.